You must know the times. Answers to 25 essential questions on end times prophecy. A powerful new book by Dennis James Woods. Wildfires, earthquakes, hurricanes, and floods that devastates entire communities. Global pandemics that kills hundreds of thousands of people. Social injustice, unrest, and lawlessness that threatens our societies. Where is this world heading? And what does the Bible say about the end times? You Must Know the Times is an eye-opening book specifically designed to educate readers about the last days. You will learn what the Bible says about conflicts in the Middle East, the Tribulation Period, the Nation of Israel, the Mark of the Beast, the Antichrist, Armageddon, the Rapture of the Church, and many more essential topics. Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times by Dennis James Woods at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Praise the Lord, everyone. This is Dr. Dennis James Woods, and we're here with you one more time with the Revelation Revolution. Revelation 1 and 3 says, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. You have just entered another edition of the Revelation revolution Praise God, praise God. It is so good to be back with you again for another exciting chapter of Revelation Revolution. For those of you who caught our first podcast, uh, we were just so glad that you did tune in. We want you to tell people, tell your friends, spread the word about this amazing study in the book of the Revelation. Uh, we will actually be covering... Uh, broader subjects than just the book of Revelation, but uh, primarily we're going to be dealing with end-time prophecy, and because we're dealing with end-time prophecy, of course, that includes mostly uh, the book of the Revelation. Today, we're going to start a whole new series called The Revealing of the Antichrist, and so uh, now when I say the revealing of the Antichrist, that does not mean that I'm going to be saying uh, naming an individual as who is going to become the Antichrist. Of course, that would be folly. We're not going to be dealing with that. We're going to be talking about the revealing of the Antichrist based on uh, Paul's epistle, second epistle to the Thessalonians in chapter number two, where Paul talks about the man of sin being, being revealed. Uh, it is interesting that 
the word revealed in Second Thessalonians, which we'll be going there in a second, uh, is apocalypto in the Greek, which means to take off the cover or to unveil something. And so you're going to find that this study is very important because it sets the stage to show you that one of the main tenets of pre-trib dispensational eschatology, uh, one of the things that the, one of their main tenets is, is that the Holy Spirit is going to be removed from the earth in like manner as it came on the day of Pentecost. And this is taken from some of the words that Paul uh, uh, uses, or not some of the words, but what Paul actually says in Second Thessalonians chapter number two. So let's go there uh, right now. Uh, but before we do, let's just have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord God, we thank you and praise you for your love, mercy, and your grace. We thank you for all that you are doing in our lives, and we ask you to be with us, lead and guide us in all truth, Lord God, that we may glorify your name. We're not trying to lift up people, Lord God. We're trying, we're lifting you up in the name of Jesus that you may be glorified, that your word, Lord God, will come alive to us and so that we will benefit, Lord God, from what you have written in your word about the things that are coming on this world in the name of Jesus. So bless them that have tuned in, Lord God, that are uh, listening to this podcast. And we just thank you, Lord Jesus, for all of your bountiful and merciful grace that you so abundantly shed upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, Paul's second uh, epistle to the Thessalonians, uh, Thessalonians chapter number two, uh, verse Verse number one, uh, let's begin. It says, now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye not be soon shaken in mind, nor be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, is that the day of Christ is at hand. Okay, the first verse is a loaded verse here, ladies and gentlemen, because, but it gives us the scope of what the, the second chapter is going to be primarily talking about. Now, I beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. So uh, we get two things here. We're getting the Lord's return, glory to God, and by our gathering together unto him. Now, for those that are post-trib, they see this as the rapture and the Lord coming on the day of the Lord is the same event. I don't have that position. Uh, however, in pre-trib, what, what happens is, is they go to the second verse here, and this is important. It says that ye not seen be soon shaken the mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us is that the day of Christ is at hand. Now, the interesting thing is in the King James Version, this phrase day of Christ at, at hand is written. However, in all of the other versions, uh, it says the day of the Lord is at hand because uh, most scholars 
that's what if you read the commentaries I say most scholars agree that this should not be the day of Christ is at hand because actually the day of Christ is the day that the Lord comes back for his church and the day of Christ that whole part where we get caught up raptured and then is the reward uh, that whole award ceremony that is going to be for the saints that's really the day of Christ so uh, pre-trib says well that's a bad translation and it really shouldn't be there but I must admit now in the King James Version it says day of Christ day of Christ and the day of the Lord is two different things and so uh, the dispensationalist or the pre-tribulation person would say okay this is really the day of Christ if we look at uh, uh, the, the day of the Lord rather if we look at um, let's say if we go to the new King James Version the day of Christ is still there if we go to the revised uh, the English Standard Version um, uh, let's see what it has it has the day of the Lord it says the day of the Lord has come if we go to the NIV also it has the day of the Lord and so many of the modern English translations uh, have the day of the Lord there uh, even though in the King James and New King James, they have the day of Christ. But we won't get stuck there because what we, let's move on to verse number three. Then it says, don't let anyone deceive you. And I'm still reading out of the NIV, but let me go back to the uh, uh, New King James Version. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition okay now so here's what's going on apparently there was someone who had written a bogus letter to the church and the Christians at Thessalonica and had told them that the persecution that they were currently going through were actually the day, the fulfillment of the day of the Lord. And so because the Christians thought they were in the day of the Lord, well, if Paul taught a pre-trib rapture, if he was teaching a pre-trib rapture, now this is this is this is theory now. This isn't in the scripture. If Paul was teaching a pre-trib rapture, then and if the day of the Lord was among them, that would mean these Christians had missed the first resurrection or the rapture. And because they had missed it, many of them were feeling rejected and depressed and were falling from the faith. And it had a great impact on their faith because they figured they missed Christ's coming. And so because of that, uh, many historians and theologians believe that this is why Paul is writing Second Thessalonians or one of the purposes Second Thessalonians is written. And so therefore, this is why he starts with verse number three, let no man deceive you by men, any means that the, that day will not come. Well, the day, what day are we talking about? Well, verse number one talked about the, uh, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together again to him. So our 
are gathering together to him, ladies and gentlemen, is the rapture. That, that, that cannot be disputed because no matter how you spin it, this is the focus of the passage. And so the bottom line is when we get to verse 3, Paul is doing some cleanup work here and he's saying don't let anybody deceive you for that day what day the our gathering together or the day of the lord see that's how i think this is really should be interpreted okay but there might be some that disagree but either but nevertheless it doesn't affect what we're going to be dealing with in the later verses let no one deceive you still at verse number three let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first the falling away, the Greek there is apostasia, where we get uh, the, our word apostate, or uh, someone who defects from the faith, or, or fails to pass the test, is what one of the, the emphasis of that. And so the bottom line is, there. one of the signs that Paul gives, he says that will come before these two days come are gathering together unto Christ or the day of the Lord, whichever one you want to call it. Glory to God. He says, that's not going to happen until this happens first. It says the falling away comes first. And there's another one, the apostasy, the defection from the faith. And the second one is the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition. Now, and we'll, we're, we're going to come back to that phrase, man of sin is revealed, the son of position. We're going to get back to that. But let's go further. Verse number four, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship so that he so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember when I was still with you, I told you these things? So Paul is saying, listen, I already told you about this. You know, when the Antichrist comes, what he's going to do, he's going to go into the temple of God, sit on the throne of God and call himself God. Okay, this is what he's going to do. As a matter of fact, when he is revealed, this is what you're going to see. Now, the interesting thing here, when we go back to verse number three, the word revealed there, that doesn't mean when he shows up or when he comes on the scene. It doesn't mean that. It means the Greek word there is apocalypto. Apocalypto simply means to take off the cover. In other words, the whenever Antichrist comes, he will be cloaked in and, and, and a peace persona, but what's going to happen is at a certain point that veil he's going to that veil's going to be taken off, and then he is just going to go buck crazy and then walk into the temple of God and then call himself God and demand worship as God. Now, his character is going to change, and there's a reason for that. And we're going to get to it. we got to get back to the book of Revelation, but I need to set the groundwork so you can understand where I'm coming from. Because once we understand the key points in Thessalonians, then we can go back to Revelation, and then we can start unraveling what the book of Revelation is actually trying to teach us. So, so verse number four, who 
who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God now in uh, uh, Daniel chapter number seven uh, you there's a a, a a passage in there that talks about a little horn with the mouth with eyes and a mouth of a man speaking great things in Revelation chapter 13 we find out that the Antichrist glory to God will blaspheme the tabernacle of heaven blaspheme everybody that's in heaven glory to God and we speak great things and see that's what this guy does who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship so that he is God sits in the temple of God showing himself that, that he is God verse number five do you not remember that when I was still with you I told you these things in other words Paul is saying I went over all of this with you already and Paul is making his reasoning for them for them to understand you can't be in the day of the Lord right now because there's certain things that have not happened yet and Paul is re-emphasizing, re, uh, uh, re reiterating to them. He says, don't y'all remember when I was with you, I told you this. He says, y'all have no business letting somebody come to you and tell you that the day of the Lord or the day of Christ has already happened because these things that need to happen haven't happened yet. And you should not be soon shaken in mind. Even if someone writes you a letter as it came from me, he says, I'm here telling you now, I'm writing you this second letter just to let you know, don't believe it, don't receive it. Verse number five again, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. Verse number seven, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now, I just read that from to you from the New King James Version of the Bible. Now, in the New King James Version of the Bible, the pronoun he is capitalized and I and I want to point this out to you because it's very important it, it, in verse number in verse number seven for the mystery of lawlessness already is at work only he capitalized who now restrains will do so until he capitalized is taken out of the way now, in the Bible, when we capitalize these pronouns, he, himself, or something like that, we are talking about the Holy Spirit. That's the inference here. 
That's what the that's what the emphasis on having he capitalize means in this text. Now the concept that the Holy Spirit is being referred to here is a result of a theological position that says only the Holy Spirit is able to do the restraining of the Antichrist. And so this is why, ladies and gentlemen, this passage is so key to our understanding. It is very key to our understanding. But the question is, oh, well, let me, let me, let me just say this. In pre-tribulationism, in pre-tribulationism, the he being the Holy Spirit is key to this doctrine. Now, let's go back a little further because I want to lay out how pre-trib lays this out so you'll understand my arguments when we get back to this particular issue. Pre-trib says that the passage in verse verse number one, now brother concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto him, we ask you, do not be soon shaken of mind, nor troubled by spirit or by letter or by word, as from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Okay? Pre-trib says that shouldn't say the day of Christ. That should be the day of the Lord. Well, the day of the Lord actually is the time of God's wrath. Okay, that's the day of the Lord. As a matter of fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1, chapter number 5 rather, verse number 9, as a matter of fact, let me let me turn to it and then we'll 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 come right back to our text here. Let me read this to you. Verse of uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, verse number 9. This is what the word of the Lord says. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse 9, the context for verse 9, let's go back up to the first verse. It says, but concerning the times and the seasons, brother, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brother, are not in darkness that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the sons of light and the sons of day. We are not of the night nor the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet of salvation, of, uh, as a helmet of hope of salvation. For God, verse number nine, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain 
obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So now the context here is the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. And we're going to get into that. The day of the Lord is a time period of the outpouring of the wrath of God. We're going to study this in detail, but I need to get back to second Thessalonians chapter number two, because this helps us understand what what Paul is really addressing here. And so Paul is really addressing this whole concept about the day of the Lord. And this is why pre-trib says what they said. They said, well, if you look at First uh, Thessalonians chapter number five, this is what Paul was talking about. That's the context. So by the time he does his second letter to correct a, uh, uh, a, a heretical teaching that the day of the Lord was already upon them, uh, the, he's bringing these concepts over from that because he had already told them about it. And so uh, even though the King James translators put the day of Christ in at the end of verse two, it really should be the day of the Lord. And so what Paul is saying here, that the day is the day of the Lord that they're talking about. Now, this is all important because he Paul then goes on to say there is something that's holding back. There's two things that has to happen before the day of the Lord can occur. But he says that that day shall not come. And so what pre-trib says is the day of the Lord is what Paul has in mind here. Okay. Well, if we go with that, that's fine. Let's just go with that for a minute. The bottom line is, is this, he says, there are two things that happen, have to happen before the day of the Lord comes. And this is the reasoning why Paul was saying, you guys at Thessalonica, the day of the Lord hasn't happened yet because first there has to be a great falling away, which is yet future and apostasy. We're actually beginning to, we actually hasn't just not just now beginning, but it's, but is in full force and it's, and it's, it is creeping through the world. There's a lot of people defecting from the faith, but there's going to be some other things, some mass defections of the faith that are probably yet still future. And so Paul said, is, is, is there, there's a falling away that must come first and the revealing of the man of sin. Okay, so that's two things, the uncovering of the man of sin, which is the Antichrist. Okay, so two things have to happen. The falling away has to come first. Then the revealing of the man of sin has to come first. He says, but there's something that's holding back the revealing of the man of sin or the Antichrist. And he said, what that something is, is a he. Okay, so now we go, let's go back to verse number seven. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So the question is, who is the he? Now, Paul doesn't say who the he is. Paul doesn't say it. Paul does not give us any clue as to whom he is talking, referring to, because he has already covered this, glory to God, when he talked to them before. So now, if you look at this verse in the King James Version of the Bible, the interesting thing is the he here is not capitalized. If you look at it, in the NIV, glory to God, uh, the uh, the he is not capitalized. 
okay? Uh, if we look at it in the English Standard Version, the he is not capitalized. Uh, it is only capitalized in a few other versions, and uh, I don't have time to go through all of it now, but the reason why the people obviously in the new king james version capitalize the he because they are of the mindset that the he here is the holy spirit okay now keep in mind ladies and gentlemen the bible doesn't say that that is not explicit in the text paul doesn't say what's holding back the revealing of the antichrist he doesn't say it Okay, a theological position has interpolated or put into the text that this is the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read from you uh, from uh, Dr. Uh, e. Dwight Pentecost, uh, J. Dwight Pentecost, rather. I always say E. Dwight, but it's J. Dwight, J. Dwight Pentecost. And um, there are several things that people have said or who this restrainer is okay uh one of them is the question has always been who is the restrainer okay the one of them is is historically it's the roman empire well for a lot of obvious reasons that just doesn't work okay the second one was the that the it was some form of human government that's holding back the restraint of the antichrist uh then the third one of the third views was satan is the restrainer okay uh that doesn't make much sense the fourth one is is the restrainer is the church and this is what this is. Uh, uh, I read directly from Dwight Pentecost's book. I'm on page uh, uh, two sixty one out of uh, uh, Things to Come, and this is what it says: A fourth interpretation is the view that the restrainer is the church. It is recognized that believers are likened into salt, which is a preservative, and to light, which is which is a purifying agent, a dispeller of darkness. It would be agreed that the church could be one of the means to which restraint is felt but that which is a channel could not be the same but that which is the channel could not at the same time be the agent stanton writes the church is at best an imperfect organization perfect perfect in standing before god to be sure but ex uh, experimentally before man not always blameless or above reproach like human government the church is used of god to hinder the full manifestation of the evil one in the present age but he who effectively restrains not the believer but the one who empowers the believer the indwelling holy spirit Apart from his presence, neither the church nor government would have the ability to hinder and perform the power and, and uh, uh, hinder the program and the power of Satan. So therefore, they give one more interpretation. The fifth interpretation is 
uh, holds that the restrainer is the Holy Spirit. Above the above the author gives the reasons for the support of this conclusion. Now this is now they're going to get into the reasons of why it's the Holy Spirit. Now remember what we were saying, ladies and gentlemen. It's not in the text. Second Thessalonians chapter number two, Paul does not say who the restrainer is. Now theologians, what they're doing is doing guesswork by putting out some possibilities and then they knock those possibilities down and now they're gonna they're setting up for the reason why they think that he is the Holy Spirit. And obviously the people who translated or were were part of the committee that uh, gave us the New King James uh, uh, version of the Bible. Obviously, these were dispensational people who had bought into the Holy Spirit restraint, and that's why we see the word he there capitalized. But anyway, let's get back into some of the reasons why they say it's the Holy Spirit. Number one, by mere elimination, the Holy Spirit must be the restrainer. All other sex suggestions fall short of meeting the requirements. So the first point is it can't be human government. It can't be Satan. Satan ain't going to restrain itself. It can't be the church because the church is an imperfect uh, 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 organism and all of that and it and, and if it was the church it would, it would the church doesn't have any power on its own the church's power through the Holy Spirit so it can't be the church it couldn't be the Roman government uh, all of those things just they, they set up these and then they knock them down it's kind of like they they're building a straw man argument to get to this of uh, the point they want to make here so when he says by mere elimination the Holy Spirit must be the restrainer all other suggestions fall far short of meeting the requirements. The, uh, option number two, the wicked one is a personality, speaking of the Antichrist, and his operations include the realm of the spiritual. The restrainer must likewise be a personality and a spiritual being to hold the Antichrist in check until the time of his revealing. Mere agencies or impersonal spiritual forces would be inadequate. Number three, to achieve all that is to be accomplished, the restrainer must be a member of the Godhead. He must be stronger than the man of sin and stronger than Satan who energizes him in order in order to restrain evil down through the course of the age. The restrainer must be eternal. The theater of sin is the entire world. Therefore, it is imperative that the restrainer be one who is not limited by time or space. Now, these arguments sound really, really great. But ladies and gentlemen, this is a theological position. I just finished reading to you. The Bible never said the restrainer was the Holy Spirit. This is the this idea came from theologians looking at who it could be and then coming up with a theological reason why it has to be the Holy Spirit. But again, this is not explicit in the text. Okay? Now, now that we have covered this. We have to understand, in order to understand what's holding the Antichrist back from being uncovered, and so we get back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, in order to understand that, ladies and gentlemen, what we have to do is understand 
what is the Antichrist? Glory to God. So let's do that. Let's do that. The Antichrist is not just a person or the person that people will see that will be the final dictator. He is a person, but he is also a kingdom. He is also a kingdom. These are there's two aspects. There's a third aspect we're going to get to, but I'm going to save that one. The kingdom of the beast is a uh, integral part of who the Antichrist is. Matter of fact, let's go back to Revelation chapter 13 and verse number one, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna go back to the King James version. He says, I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast that thou sawest was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, his mouth as the mouth of a lion and the dragon gave him his power and great seat and great authority all right so the dragon represents satan just take my word for that for right now we'll actually see the symbology is a, a directly tied to satan later the great dragon okay now we see that the beast has seven heads, ten horns, and upon those ten horns, ten crowns. These represent ten kings or ten nations. But they said that the beast that they saw was like a leopard, a bear, and a lion. Let's go to Daniel chapter number seven and let's begin to build on what the john the revelator is talking about because we need the book of daniel in, to, in order to understand this listen to what it says in the first year daniel chapter seven verse one in the first year of in the first year of belshazzar the king of babylon Daniel had a dream and a vision of his of his head upon his bed and he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters Daniel spake and said I saw in my night vision by night behold the four winds of the four winds of heaven strove upon a great sea and four great and four great beasts came up from the sea diverse one from another the first was like a lion get this and it had eagle's wings and I beheld it till the wings that were plucked and it was lifted up from the earth made to stand upon a man's feet and a man's heart was given to it verse number five behold another beast a second like unto a bear and it raised up on its side and it had three ribs in his mouth and between his teeth and thus they said unto it rise and devour much flesh verse 6 after this beheld I beheld lo another beast like a leopard and it had upon its back four wings of a fowl and the beast also had four heads and dominion was given unto it 
After this, I saw in the night visions, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth, and it devoured and brake into pieces and stamped the residual with the feet of it. It was diverse from all the other beasts that were before it. It had ten horns, and I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. Behold, and, and, the, and this horn were the eyes like a man and a mouth speaking great things. Glory to God. Now, let's go down a little further. And this is what happens. We get the interpretation of this uh, vision. Uh, verse number 15, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. And I came near unto one of them that stood by me and asked the truth of all of this. And he told me and made me to know the interpretation of these things. Daniel, Daniel is speaking of an angel. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall rise out of the earth. Okay, so now here we, here we, here we find it out. Verse number 18, but the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and forever and ever. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all of the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and his nails of brass, which devoured and break into pieces and stamped with the residue of the feet and of the ten horns, which were in his head and of the other, which came up, uh, uh, which came up and before whom th three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth speaking great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. And I beheld that same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them until the ancient of days came and judgment was given to the saints of the most high and the time and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom and he said thus the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth which shall be diverse from all of the other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth and shall tread it down and break it into pieces and the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall rise and another shall arise after after them, he shall be diverse from the other first. He shall be diverse from the first and shall subdue three kings. And he shall speak great things against the Most High and wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and the laws. And they have been given uh, and have been given, shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change change the times and the laws and it shall be given unto his hand until a time times and the dividing of time now ladies and gentlemen I just read a lot to you but what I wanted you to understand that Daniel is the key to understanding Revelation chapter 13 so now let's go back there 
So now when we go back to Revelation 13, we have some historical context for what it is that Daniel is, what John is now describing, which coincides with what Daniel said. Verse number one, I stood upon the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. There it is again, the, the ten horns. And upon his ten horns, ten crowns, and uh, upon his heads, the name of blasphemy. And so what we see is here so that the beast or the Antichrist or the kingdom of the beast is not just a human being. He is a man. He is the man that is going to have the mouth speaking great things. This is the person that we will see. He will be the human dictator. But the beast is also his kingdom. His kingdom will consist of a confederacy of 10 nations and 10 kings. Okay? And so we have the individual, the beast. Then we have the kingdom of the beast, which has attributes of the ancient kingdoms that fit the lion, the bear, and the leopard. Okay, the lion represents the kingdom of Babylon. The bear represents the kingdom of Medo-Persia. And the leopard represents the kingdom of Greece. And anybody that knows anything about ancient biblical history, we know that Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldean people were in control Babylon for about 200 of, of, you know, had their reign. And then came the Medes and the Persians, glory to God, who overtook the city by overcoming uh, uh, Babylon, the city of Babylon's flood gate defenses. They were able to divert the Euphrates River, the, the uh, uh, their flood defenses dried up Darius the Mede was able to walk in glory to God basically uncontested and they took the city over from the from the Chaldeans they the Medes and the Persians ruled in Babylon for about 200 years until Alexander the Great came without a big fight then he took it over Okay, so which represents the, the leopard. Okay, the later beast that ended up coming up was the Roman Empire. That was the dreadful, scary looking beast. Okay, so this is the historic backdrop that John now is picking up in Revelation. So when we see this beast rising up out of the sea in Revelation 13, we see that he looks like a bear, it looks like a leopard, it looks like a lion, and then it's got these great teeth, the same stuff that Daniel talked about, we understand that Daniel was giving us the uh, a panoramic prophetic view of great Gentile kingdoms that were going to rule the world. And Rome was one of those kingdoms, and a new and a revived sense of Rome is going to rule again through the kingdom of the Antichrist. So now we have the Antichrist is a man, the Antichrist or the beast is also a king. Them. But there is a third aspect of the beast that we have to get to. And this is the part that unless you understand this part, you cannot rightfully understand Second Thessalonians. 
you have to get this part or second Thessalonians will be a mystery and you'll start uh, chasing your tail with trying to figure out who's restraining or holding back the revealing of the Antichrist without using the information the Bible gives us this is exactly what Dr. Pentecost Dr. Walver John MacArthur Ryrie LaHaye Hal Lindsey Clarence Larkin everybody that's a dispensational pre-trib they all do not recognize what I am about to teach you right now ladies and gentlemen are you ready for the revelation revolution let's go there glory to God let's go to chapter number 17 in the book of revelation okay chapter number 17 and beginning at verse number 7 and the angel said unto me, this is an angel talk. This is John talking about a conversation that he had with one of the angels while he was caught up in heaven. Wherefore did thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery in the Greek mysterion, which means a hidden information that is secret for man, kept from man, unless it's revealed by God. It's a mystery. So John could not have known this this had to be revealed by a heavenly agent like this angel okay so he says the angel said unto me wherefore did thou marvel I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her that had the seven heads and the ten horns verse number eight listen to this carefully the beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is oh hallelujah ladies and gentlemen there is an aspect of the beast that John could not have known unless this angel told him he said John you don't have to trip I'm gonna show you the mystery I'm going to show you the hidden secret about the beast that has seven heads and ten horns that we see rising in Revelation 13 that Daniel talked about in Daniel chapter 7. He said, I'm going to show you the mystery. Even Daniel didn't understand these things. John didn't get it. The angel had to break it down. So now we really don't have to go to any theological assumptions. We don't have to use theological conjecture. All we got to do is read the Bible. There is a part of the beast, ladies and gentlemen, that's in the bottomless pit. The question is, what is the bottomless pit in order to answer that question we need to go to revelation 
chapter 20. Get ready for this. Verse number one. And I saw an angel. Oh, hallelujah. Come down from heaven. Having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Verse number three, and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Okay, now listen to this. Go down to verse number seven. Glory to God. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Aha. That's the word we were looking for. Ladies and gentlemen, the bottomless pit is a prison for demonic spirits. It's a prison. It is a prison that is so impregnable that not even Satan himself, who is the chief principality of all wickedness, it is Satan that gives the beast his power. Satan, the chief principality and power himself is thrown in the bottomless pit, not by Gabriel, not by Michael, not by Cherubim, not by the Holy Spirit, but by one unnamed angel with a key and a chain in his hand. Satan himself locked up, can't bust a grape. Can't deceive, has no powers to deceive, no powers to do nothing. The question is, if Satan cannot escape from the bottomless pit, then how can the demon that has to inhabit or possess the Antichrist, how does he get out? He's in the same prison that Satan is going to be locked up in. Ladies and gentlemen, when the pre-tribulationists wrote their doctrines and they said that there is nobody else that can restrain Satan, they said, number one, he would have to be eternal. 
Well, angels are immortal, but they're not eternal because they're finite beings that had a beginning. They're created beings. Only God is eternal. Sorry, Dr. Pentecost. Here's an angel right here who bound Satan by himself. He's not eternal. And he was stronger than Satan because he was the one to put the cuffs on him. And, Dr. Pentecost, you said that the restrainer had to be a member of the Godhead. That's also wrong. Because here we have an angel who is not a member of the Godhead who bound Satan himself. And Satan is of a higher rank and more powerful than the beast that is going to possess the Antichrist. Paul never said it was the Holy Spirit, ladies and gentlemen. He didn't say it was the angel either, did he? So then how do we reach the conclusion? What do we do? What are we taught in hermeneutics? How do we interpret scripture? You, number one, stick to your genre. Stick to what you're talking about. Don't go to John and talk about the, what Jesus called the Holy Spirit. He... Or, or, or go to uh, 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 Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, the spirit of the Lord should not always drive with man. That's not talking about the Antichrist. That's not eschatology. Or go to Isaiah, uh, when, the, when the enemy come in his flood, the spirit of the Lord should lift up a standard. That's, that's, that's not even talking about the Antichrist. If you want to know about the Antichrist, what's restraining the Antichrist, you need to go to the scriptures that deal with the Antichrist. What are you going to John for? What are you going to Revelation? What are you going to uh, Genesis for? Stick to the topic. Stick to the, the text. It's right here, ladies and gentlemen. The beast that you saw was and is not. In John's day, in other words, when, when the angel was talking to John, he said, the beast that thou saw of was in other words he was active in the earth realm he was but in John's day he is not in other words not active just like Satan won't be active during the millennial reign why because he's going to be locked up in the bottomless pit it's going to be like there is no devil he's going to be completely locked up deceptive powers wicked power all that's going to be put on ice because while well, he's in the bottomless pit it'll be like he doesn't exist but John said the beast was, is not, and, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. So that means the, this demon has to get out of the bottomless pit in order to get into the Antichrist. Because that's the other part that, the, that we're missing. We have to understand the Antichrist is a man, he's a kingdom, but he's also a demon that is on lockdown. And that demon is not going to be let loose until the appointed time of the Antichrist. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to continue this teaching. Glory to God. Well, you know what? Let me just, y'all, I, I know, I know, no. 
let me give you some, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Yeah, this, I know this is good now. This is good. This is good. Some would say, that, you know, when I was uh, taking my revelation course, well, one of the, uh, a lot of the studies that I've taken, uh, Dr. Carson, D.A. Carson said, it's very important to be careful not to build a doctrine around apocalyptic literature because of the metaphors and the symbology and all of that. And, and that, that, that is really, really, really so true. So let's do this. If, my, if what I'm saying is correct, we should be able to find this somewhere else in the Bible, right? Let's do that. Okay. Let's go to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. We're going to begin reading at verse number 26. This is how the word of the, word of the Lord reads. And they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. And when he went forth to, the, to land, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils a long time, or demons a long time. He wear no clothes, neither abode in any house but in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him with a loud voice and said, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God, of the most high God, uh, that son of God, most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. Verse 29, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for oftentimes it caught him and he was kept bound with chains and fetters, and he broke the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, saying, what is thy name? And he said, Legion, because we be many devils or demons which entered into him. And they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. And there was a there a herd of swine feeding on the mountains, and they besought him, saying, Would he suffer them to enter them? And he suffered them. And when the devils went out of the man and entered it into the swine, the herd of swine violently ran down a steep place and into the lake, and they were choked. Or in other words, they drowned. Okay, now, the King James Version of this, they don't translate this very well, but let me read verse 31 again. It says, and they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. Well, and then what happened? The, the demons came out of the man. They went into the pigs. The pigs then drowned themselves in the lake. So you would think that the deep there was in reference to the pigs running down and drowning in the lake. But it's not, ladies and gentlemen. That's not what the word deep means there. Let me pull this up in the NIV. This is what it says. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Ah, the word deep in King James comes from the Greek word abusos. Abusos is translated in English abyss. But it is also translated in the King James Version, the bottomless pit. Ladies and gentlemen, in Jesus' day, in the gospel narratives, 
here we have demons begging Jesus not to command for them to go into the bottomless pit, which is a place of torment and prison for demons. And Mark, when he tells the story, they said, have you come to torment us before the time? Because the demons realized wasn't time for them to be in prison. So Revelation chapter 20, Revelation chapter 17, these are not some just some apocalyptic symbols that cannot be connected to other forms of literature in the New Testament, which in this case is the gospel narratives. Now, the gospel narratives, granted, are not didactic as epistles are granted. But then again, we have the book of Jude. Look what Jude says. Glory to God. Got to find it real quick. Glory to God. Jude talks about demons being reserved under darkness and chains. Yes. You see, Jude 1 and 6. Let's read it. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. These angels are reserved in darkness and chains. Where? In the bottomless pit. This is where the demon that has to possess the Antichrist, this is where he comes from. He can't possess the Antichrist as long as he's in the bottomless pit. This is why Paul said, now you know what holds him back. It is a neuter noun. What? It's neuter. Because the bottomless pit is a place not a person. And the he who now restrains are the angels that actually are the functionaries, the literal agents of restraint. They are the ones who do that. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. God does not leave his throne to go put his holy hands on the nasty devil. The devil is an angel. God has angels that can deal with him. 
That's very clear in Revelation chapter 12 where it says Michael and his angels fought with the devil and his angels. So listen, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to pick this up. We're not finished. Listen, tell your friends and your loved ones. They need to be turning into this podcast because Dr. Woods is going to break this thing down. We need to understand what's going to happen because when we go back to Second Thessalonians next on the next session, we're going to find out, ladies and gentlemen, we understand what's what's holding them back, who's doing the restraining, and we're going to deal with it and say wait a minute if it's not the holy ghost that's restraining him and it's not the holy ghost that has to be taken out of the way before the revealing of the antichrist and the holy spirit is in the church see that's what preach rib says once the holy spirit is goes the church has to go and the church has to go prior to the whole the man of sin being revealed so that's what pre-trib gets all of this. The main subject, the main one of the main texts. There's another one. It's it's in a, 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 a Revelation chapter three. We're dealing with the Church of Philadelphia, which we're going to deal with that about him keeping them from the uh, hour of trial to come to try the whole world. We're going to deal with that. We're going to find out what that is. But the bottom line is, is if the Holy Spirit is gone, then the church has to be gone, and that's what pre-trib bases that theory off of. It's a theory of trying to figure out who else could it be it is not that the bible said it the bible doesn't say that it never did say it we just read what the bible says and so what i did is i wrote to dr walvoord i wrote to dr pentecost i said listen this is where you guys missed it in your theories you did not include the fact that the john was told by an angel that there was an aspect of the antichrist that was in the bottomless pit and because you left that out of your theory the conclusion you have reached about who the restrainer is are faulty. They could not, Dr. Walvoord nor Dr. Pentecost could refute what I said. They disagreed with me, but they couldn't say it was wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, you cannot argue with the scriptures. Listen, God bless you and love you and keep you the book of the Revelation is a book that must be understood and read. And we got the other books to back it up. And so we will see you again real soon for the next episode of the Revelation Revolution. God bless you and keep you, my brothers and sisters, in Jesus' name. You must know the times answers to 25 essential questions on end time prophecy a powerful new book by dennis james woods the world is spiraling out of control at an alarming pace wildfires earthquakes hurricanes and floods devastate entire communities 
Global pandemics kill hundreds of thousands of people. Social injustice, unrest, and lawlessness threaten our societies. Political instability and the threat of war increase hostilities between nations. The birth pangs of distress are getting more intense each day. The question is, what do all these things mean, and where is this world headed? Unfortunately, at a time when people need answers the most, many do not know about the end times. You must know the times, Answers to 25 Essential Questions on End Time Prophecy, is an eye-opening book that is specifically designed to educate readers on a wide range of subjects concerning the last days. This book will equip you to discern the times, in which we now live. You will learn what the Bible says about the signs of the times, the conflict in the Middle East, the tribulation period, the nation of Israel, the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, the battle of Armageddon, the rapture of the church, the return of the Lord, and many more essential topics. Discover the powerful message the book of Revelation has for Christians, and the perils that await a rebellious world. The Lord warns, look, I am coming like a thief. The one who is alert and remains clothed, is blessed. Therefore, it is vitally important that you must know the times. Be aware, be informed, and most of all, be prepared for things to come. Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times, by Dennis James Woods, at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold.